through the book of uh, Genesis, uh, starting with Abraham. Uh, and man, it's just been some great word that we've received over the last couple of months uh, in this series. God will provide the vision. So um, as we journey through today, we're going to land in Genesis chapter 28. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can you can rest there. I'll be jumping around through there uh, a little bit and um, we're going to make sure that uh, we stay in alignment with the uh, with the word that's been coming forth. So God will provide the vision. God will provide the vision. Um, as I think about this, I was thinking through uh, just my past experience. Uh, you know, we came through a season over this last uh, couple of months. You know, end of May, uh, we get to graduation season. You know, and our, our young people graduate from high schools, from colleges, uh, from, you know, universities. And it's an exciting time for a lot of families because we're celebrating those successes. And it took me back to my own journey back in the 1980s. <laughs> Graduating from the Eastmore High School. Eastmore in the house? Any Eastmore? All right. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I think about, you know, just what that meant, what that entailed for me as a young man. You know, you spend kindergarten through 12th grade. You know, you watch. You, 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 you go through the test. You go through all the different, uh, you know, papers and study and, uh, you know, fights and all the other kind of stuff that comes along with being in school. Um, and you get to that point where you graduate, and it's like, oh, wow, you know, wow. It's just everybody's there. Everybody's cheering you on. You have the graduation parties, the whole nine yards, and it's just a high time in terms of celebrating that success, celebrating that moment. And then it, I, I thought about it from the standpoint of being a student, but then also, you know, if you have kids, when your kids adhere to the things that you tell them as parents, that we tell them as parents and they listen and they, they do the studies and they, they get on the honor roll and they are celebrated and they get the awards, it's another reason, even more so as a parent, to watch your kids be successful and uh, make that, that, that step into graduating and, and, and the accolades that go with it. How, can I get an amen? amen? And so I say all of that to say, um, when, when, when I think about that, I, I also thought about the day after. You know, you get this buildup. You get this buildup to be, uh, to reach a certain pinnacle, and everybody's celebrating you, and everybody's lording over you, and everybody's cheering you on, and then the day after. All right? I'm going somewhere. I'm going to leave that hangling. That's the, uh, you know, how in the, in, the, in the TV series they give you the opening and then you got to go back all the way through. We're going to come back here in a second, all right? But we have been learning over the last few months that God will provide the vision. We've been taking a journey through Genesis with Abraham and Isaac last week. We learned of Isaac and Rebekah and their faith to believe God. The journey of Rebekah over 400 miles to meet a man, Isaac, she had never met, leaving all that she ever knew behind. Married now for over 20 years, but finding herself bearing a source of shame, women in, in distress of a couple they knew were a part of God's promise. So, so here it is. We, we, we are taking this journey. 
I know what the promise is. Isaac knows what the promise is. And here we are. We're running into the same roadblock that my father shared with me before. And as, uh, as Pastor Yavis painted that picture last week, I'm sure there had to be some conversations with Abraham sharing his own personal journey of faith with his son Isaac and letting him know what he and Sarah had dealt with in the same situation. And here comes Isaac with the same test, and Isaac passes the test. So here it is, Abraham, I can imagine, spiritually, him looking down on Isaac and say, that's the way to do it, son, because Isaac, in that moment, he didn't fall like his father and his mother fell and reach outside of the promise. He prayed, and as we saw last week, because of his prayers, we saw how God began to move in his life, and we saw how God began to, 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 to open up uh, the situation to where Rebecca, who had been barren, got a double portion. Amen? And so we see God's provision, and we see the journey of faith uh, that they've been on. And uh, today, what I want to do is just talk to you briefly uh, from the same thing that God will provide for the vision. And if I had to give a subtitle to it, it, was, it would be, how do we take ownership of the vision? How do we take ownership of the vision? We know that God will provide the vision, but how do we as individuals take ownership of the vision? And I'm not going to be in front of you that long, and that long again, doesn't have a timeline on it, but we're going to get you out of here in a decent hour. The first thing that we have to understand in order to take ownership of the vision is that we must respect and obey the promise. And so what we've learned is this passage from generation to generation, the very thing that God has spoken to Abraham. Abraham spent quality time with his son Isaac, raising him up, teaching him about sacrifices, teaching him about the Lord, showing him all along the way his own journey, telling him his own journey. And, and in telling him his own journey, it was Isaac that would catch hold of the stories, loved that time that he was spending with his father. And it was starting to resonate in him in terms of what he was learning, in terms of how the promise to his father would connect to him. And what am I saying? I'm saying that a lot of times when we look at our own situation and our own trials, one of the things that we have to understand, we have to respect those that have gone on before us. Amen. You know, we have mothers and fathers. I have my mom in the room, my father. We have mothers and fathers that have laid down so much in front of us to make sure that we can be successful. They've shared the stories from their past. We know the journey. We know our family history, so on and so forth. And then when we get to the place where it's time for us to get out there on our own, we have to make sure that we are giving honor and respect to those that have gone on before us. Our culture, our society would tell us sometimes that our parents, are oh, they're outdated. They don't know what they're talking about. We got all this technology. Everything's at our fingertips. Everything's at our whim. We can do this. We can do that. They don't understand. But, man, I tell you what, they understand principles. They understand how to navigate through life situations, the life situations that haven't changed. They just, you know, they come a little faster, but it's still the life situations. And, it, and we got to get to the place where we are listening to those that have gone on before us. 
We've got to get to the place where we're giving respect to those that have laid a foundation, those that are trying to keep us out of harm's way. We got to turn on the listening ears so that we can make sure that we're not getting ourselves in situations that if we had listened. And I'm telling you for myself, there are so many times that I got myself into situations where I just wish I would have listened to an elder, a, 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 a mentor, somebody that had tried to tell me along the way, don't do that, don't go there. I wanted to be hard head, knucklehead, and I had to find out for myself. And man, I could have spared myself from a lot of different troubles and a lot of different situations if I would have just listened to those that had gone on before me. We got to know that they love us. They care for us. What they're sharing with us, they're trying to keep us out of harm's way. They want us to know how to navigate through situations. We're going to go through some things. we got to go through it ourselves. But there are some ways that we can look at the guardrails that have been set before us and we can navigate a little cleaner, a little smoother through different situations that we might go through. We have to pay respect to those that have gone on before us. And not only respect them, but be obedient to them. And how does that apply to the word? If we look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, Gen Genesis chapter 28 and verse 1, it says that Isaac, the father, his father, had called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Ah, in my elder imitation, ah. So he gives, him, he gives his son instruction about who to link up with, who to associate with. And sometimes we find ourselves, we looking for the flashy one, the one that got it going on, got the bling on. We're looking at all the outside exterior appearances, just like the Canaanite women. Dressed any kind of way, letting it all hang out, doing everything so that the eye attraction would attract me to what God said don't belong to me. And so I looked at that word, Canaan. Canaan means lowland. He didn't want him taking women from the lowland, women that didn't have self-respect, women that didn't care anything about their own dignity, women that did not fit the mode of where his destiny was supposed to take him. And whether you be woman or man, there are some individuals that don't fit the destiny that God has for us. And we have to make sure that when we are aligning ourselves or attaching ourselves to someone else, they have to fit the destiny that God has planned for us. And so here it is. Father is telling his son, hey, there are certain individuals that don't fit your destiny. I don't want you messing around with there. I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you where you can go and you can find where you, what to look for in a good woman and where to go and find a good woman. But he had to obey him. It's not enough for them to tell us, and our parents tell us a lot of things. Our forefathers tell us a lot of things. Our elders tell us a lot of things. It's not enough for them to just tell us, but we have to listen to what is being shared. We have to take it to heart. And we have to put it into practice, all right? And so when, 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 when I look at uh, not only that, uh, he also introduces him. Isaac also introduces him to God Almighty. Look at verse 3. And it says, um, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee and thou mayest be a multitude of people. He's introducing him. 
As parents, we have to introduce our kids to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to share God with them on a regular basis. We have a culture that is warring against everything in opposition to God. And if we don't do our due diligence to plant those seeds within them, if we don't do our due diligence to water what God wants to bring out of them, then we are leaving them prey to a society and a world that was waiting to eat them out. The Bible talks about the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're setting our kids up when we don't tell them the truth about God's word. We're setting them up to be destroyed. We're setting them up to be annihilated by the enemy. He wants to take them out. So parents, I must admonish you as Isaac did for his son, make sure that we are declaring the word of the Lord. And as young people, as children, we have to make sure that we are giving, uh, we're taking hold of the lessons, that we are obeying God, that we are doing what God has told us to do. And, and, and it's funny because I was looking at um, verse 7 uh, in Genesis, and it said uh, Esau was looking at this whole situation and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padan Aram. And that stuck out to me. Because I can imagine, I know my, I, I got, it's three brothers and one sister. It's, three, it's four of us all together. And uh, I know as young people, you know, when we was kids, you know, our parents would tell us to do things. And uh, we would listen. But I don't know that we would always hear and do. You know, we nod our heads. And, be, and, and then as soon as they got out of the room, it's like, oh, man, I ain't doing it. You know, I ain't doing So, you know, and we got into some things. So, you know, we, every now and then we'll get back to, as adults, we'll start talking about things that we did when we were younger. And to the, you know, uh, shock of my mother and father, like, what? We ain't know y'all. Yeah, we got into some stuff. We were warned not to get into. <laughs> You're right. And mom didn't play. All right. So, so I say that to say Jacob and Esau were probably the same. Where they're hearing the lessons about God, they know what the promises are, they know what they've been told to do, but they're doing as young people do. You know, sometimes we listen to, we'll be obedient, we'll be respectful, but for the most part, there are some things that we aren't going to do. And so I think when I read that, I was looking at it from the standpoint of, when Jacob obeyed and went 500 miles, he traveled 500 miles to get to where his father told him to do. And I just did, you know, a little calculation. I say 500 miles. That would be like going from Columbus, Ohio to, I think it said, Richmond, Virginia. And they didn't have cars. So he's heel towing it. 500 miles based on what his father had told him to do. And I could imagine previous conversations with his brother, having heard how Rebecca came 400 miles, he was probably saying, ah, man, if, if, I ain't going back over there to get a woman. You're going to send me 500 miles to get a, a woman? But here we see that he was obedient to what his father told him to do. And what I'm saying in terms of if we are going to take hold of the promise, if we're going to take hold of the vision, then we have to make sure that we're respecting the generations before us that have laid the foundation for us, but also that we are obedient to carry out the instruction that they want us or they've, they've instructed us to do.
All right. So if we want to if we want to uh, take ownership of the vision, then we have to adhere. We have to respect and we have to obey. The second thing. We have to recognize the moment the promise becomes personal and trust the promiser. All right. That's a mouthful. All right. And what is that saying? That's saying that we talk about our elders and their relationship with God. There comes a time when each and every one of us has to make our own decision to choose Christ for ourselves. And one of the problems that we have is that sometimes we will rely on the faith of my father, my mother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, and we don't have a faith nugget in the game. We don't have a faith stance in the game. You're depending, we're depending on somebody else's faith to get us over, and each and every one of us has to make a decision for ourselves. It's nice that my mom and my dad might have a relationship with God. It's nice that my grandmother might have had a relationship with God, my brother, my sister, my uncle, my neighbor, whoever. But if I don't have a relationship with God, God is going to look at me in and of myself, and the judgment is for me alone. So if I have to make a decision as an individual that, God, I choose you for myself. And what amazed me in this story when I got to verse 10, the thought hit me that up until this point, Jacob never really had an encounter with God for himself. He knew what his father, he knew what his father had instructed him. He knew about the promises of Abraham because it's, it's littered throughout his history of what has been spoken into him. But what he didn't know was God for himself. And here it is on this journey of 500 miles, he finds himself, uh, it says in verse 11, it says he finds himself and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took the stones of that place and put them for pillows and lay down in the place to sleep. So he tired. You walk 500 miles. At some point, you're going to be tired, all right? He's heel-toeing it, and this is not like the, the highways are paved with, you know, tar and all this other kind of stuff. You're going to walk through some terrain. Uh, you, hopefully, you got your water bottle because he's walking through deserts and mountains the whole nine yards. So this is a tough journey that he's on, but he's being obedient, and he finds himself in a place where he's resting. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired in my obedience. I'm tired. I'm obedient, to, I'm, I'm obedient to what my father told me to do, and I'm tired. And he finds himself in an obedient state, doing what he's been commanded to do, just taking a little rest, and all of a sudden, he encounters God. In his obedience, he encounters God. And here it is, the, 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 the ladder extending from the earth to the heavens and angels ascending and descending. And he's dreaming about this in his night, in his night recess. He's got his snore on the whole nine yards. And he's he's dreaming about heaven and, and, and a place in which heaven and earth, there's a ladder, there's an extension, there's a connector between heaven and earth to where the angels are ascending and, the, and, the, and, and descending based on what God is commanding them to do. And, and, and then what it says is that the Lord stood atop. 
And in his dream, he could hear the Lord speak. And the Lord in verse 13 says, there above stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And so in that moment of tired, of obedience, of rest, he finds him place in a secret place, in a place away from all the noise and all the distractions. And in that place away from all the noise and all the distractions, he can hear clearly what the Lord is saying from on high. And what does that mean for us? Sometimes we have to get ourselves out of the noise. Sometimes we got to get ourselves away from the distractions so that we can be in a place where we can hear God. So many of us are wondering, man, God's not talking to me. I can't hear what God, I don't know what God wants me to do. Have you spent some time in a quiet place separating yourself, turning off the cell phone, turning off the TV, getting away from the crowd, always feeling like I need to be about around somebody. I'm alone. I don't want to be by myself. In this situation, Jacob is by himself, and when he's by himself and he's turned everything off, he's in the quiet and he can hear God. He can hear God communicate who he is. I am the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai. I'm the God who created it all. I can do all things. Nothing can stop me from doing what I want to do. And what I want to do, I want to do it on your behalf. This is the God that I serve, and now I can hear him. This is the God my father has been telling me about. This is the God I heard about from my, my grandfather Abraham, and now I can hear him clear for myself. I've been able, I'm separated, I'm isolated, I'm away from the noise and the distractions, and I can hear, man, this guy, who he is, and, and he's promising to me? Who am I? I'm Jacob, I'm a trickster, I trick my brother out of the, I don't deserve him promising me. That he will be with me, that he will, he will go before me, he will keep me, he'll bring me back. He's promising me all these things, and I haven't done anything. And so what that communicates is, no matter where you are, and I love what Mackie said earlier, that it's not about you what God promises. God didn't promise me based on who I was. I didn't have to get right before God extended himself to me. He extended himself when I was wicked, when I didn't have a consciousness of him. I didn't even have a thought process of him. The Bible says in Romans 5, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I didn't have a conscious awareness. I didn't want him. But yet and still he died for me. And in the same sense, what he's communicating here with, with, with Jacob, the promise that I have that I'm extending to you, it's not even about you. It's about me, who I am. And I'm extending this promise to you. And so if we want to make sure that we are aligning and we are taking on ownership of the vision, then we have to make sure that we are aligning ourselves. We have to make sure that we are in position to hear from God, that we can recognize when he's communicating to us. And then we have to adhere to what it is he's saying to us. We have to adhere. 
We have to be obedient to what he's saying. He recognized God's voice to him, even though he didn't deserve it. Nothing about him deserved to hear from God. Nothing about him deserved God to move on his behalf. The only thing was he was a part of a promise made to his grandfather. And so it is. We hear God uh, speaking to to Jacob, and we hear what he has to say to him. He says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the east, the north, the south, the west. I will watch over you, and I will uh, go wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised. That's the God we serve. The same God that reached out to Jacob is the same God that reaches out to us today. And he is waiting for us to get into position. There is nothing more than God wants from each and every one of us is to seek him. As we heard the song earlier, seek him. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he answered me. He wants us to seek him. And when we make up in our mind that, God, I'm laying aside everything else because I got to get to you, then that's the moment when God can say, hey, this is, the, this is what I got for you. You're struggling so hard, trying to do it your own way. Hear me, because I have a path and a plan for your life. You're enduring hardship and trial. You're working too hard. You're struggling against, you're fighting against so much. And if you would just adhere to my voice, put yourself in a position to where you can eliminate the distractions and you can hear me, then what I want for you will blow your mind. That's what he's telling to Jacob. That's what he's sharing with us. And so on this second point, again, if we want to take hold of the vision, we have to make sure that we recognize and we put ourselves in position to know the promise and the promiser. And let me just talk a little bit about the promiser. He identifies himself as, again, El Shaddai. He knows the stories of his father, Abraham, where God has delivered him, where God has opened up Sarah's womb at 90. He had a baby at 100. He knows about the fights, the wars, outnumbered the 300, going into battle and taking back, you know, uh, taking back Lot and and the whole family. He's heard these different stories. He knows how God has moved on behalf of the individuals. This is the God who reveals himself. He knows the God Jehovah. He's telling him, he's giving him descriptors of creation. And what I love about it, he's in a, a desert place. And I don't know if you've ever been out in a desert place and you can just clearly see the stars in the heavens. You can see the moon. You can see all of it. And if you ever get in your mind when you see it all, man, who is behind this? He's got a clear vision of the God who created it all. This is the God who can do all things. This is the God who fights and wars on our behalf. This is the God who's never lost a battle. This is the God who died for you and I. This is the God who never gives up on us. This is the God who never turns his back on us. This is the God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the God 
that we are looking at in this particular description. He identifies himself as God. And so we, too, we have to understand that we have to recognize God. And we have to hear him and what he's saying to us. And we have to, as this last point will say, and we'll leave out, we have to, like like Jacob did, we have to resolve to walk in the promise To resolve simply means to make a decision. And and, and what what Jacob did in this moment, at verse 16, it says that, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. With all he's dreaming. He wakes up out of a dream that's so vivid, so real, that it shakes him to the point of, that was God. I didn't know it before, but based on this encounter that I just had, I know that that is God. And some of us, there's been some moments in our lives where you've had an encounter and you, it's caused you to question It shook you up to the point of, was that God? I'm telling you right now, that was God trying to get your attention. And when God tries to get your attention, you better make sure, like Jacob did, you respond in the appropriate manner. He's gracious enough to give us multiple opportunities, but don't take advantage of that grace. When you have an encounter, when you experience God in any way, shape, or form, then make sure you respond appropriately to what God is calling the God who is calling. And, and, and what I like about this, it says that in verse uh, uh, 18, it says that, uh, and Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured upon it, a pour oil upon the top of it. Elder did a great job this morning talking about that stone because I was wondering when I read that, that, you know, you are in an uncomfortable place. It's not like you're going to go to uh, Ikea and find you a pillow in the middle of the desert. So he found a rock, a stone, a stone, singular, to sleep on. All right? He's in an uncomfortable place. It couldn't be, you know, it's not like, you know, sleep number bed, you know. He's got a pillow that's probably a little bit uncomfortable, but he's making do. All right? But when he recognizes God, he takes that same stone He takes that same stone and sets it up as a pillar. And a pillar is basically a place where uh, you recognize it's like a mile marker. It's a foundation. It's a foundational moment. It's a foundational place where you can build on. All right? Jacob hasn't really started his journey. Everything that God has told him has preceded him going and walking it out over the next 20-some chapters of Genesis. So he hasn't had a true experience in terms of God keeping his word. All he has is God's word. And based on the experience that he had in that dream, he takes the stone and he sets up a pillar. And it says that he, he, he poured oil on it. He consecrated that place. And it says that he named it Bethel, 
the house of God. So, so he's established a, 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 a relationship point, a change point in his own journey where before I had to ex- depend on the experiences of the other people, but now I've had an experience for myself. And where I've had this experience, this is where I'm going to take my stand. And I'm going to show that I am aligning myself. I am in a cahoots with the Lord and Savior, God, Jesus Christ as Lord. And I love the fact that it says he, 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 he poured oil on it. You know, it, it was a place where, you know, and we'll, as we journey through Genesis, you'll see that the God that promised him brings him back to that place where he's marked it. You know, sometimes we have to put some mile markers in our walk. You know, sometimes we have to put some mile markers in our walk from, you know, where, when did I come to relationship with God? When did I come to know Jesus Christ for myself? And sometimes we don't, we're, if you're not clear on where that is, then you might need to make that decision and make this the day that you know 100% for certain that this is the day that I heard the Lord. I had an encounter with the Lord and I established a mile marker. I set up a pillar to say that I belong to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Enough of trying to guess if I'm in or out. It's just a matter of a decision and setting up a, 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 a pillar to recognize that this is the day, this is the moment. If anybody asks me, are you saved? You can point to the day, the time, what was going on around you, what it smelled like, what it looked like, the whole nine yards. And you can tell them undoubtedly this is the day that I came to relationship and faith in Jesus Christ. I remember for myself. October 21st, 1990, I'm at the King Center with New Covenant Believers Church. And it seemed like as he was preaching the word, everybody that was in that room, nobody was in that room. He was talking directly to me. And he gave an altar call. And I came up and I gave my life to Christ. And at the same time, they had a little tub in the back and they could baptize you right after because I was in. And they baptized me in a little metal tub to say, you know, to, to, as, a, as a seal in terms of the, 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 the faith commitment that I had made. I know that day. You can't argue with me that day where I gave my life to Christ. Amen. And all God is saying, he has experiences for each and every one of us. Some of you have experiences. You know the day. You know the time. You know what he brought you from. And some of us, we didn't deserve what he, what he snatched us out of. I love what Mackie said here earlier. I didn't deserve it. If you knew my past and you knew some of the things that I got into, you would say, oh, my gosh, you? But God, he didn't make a promise based on who I was. He made a promise based on who he is. And he promised me that he had given his life on Calvary's cross for me, just as I am. And so I love the fact of what Jacob does here. He acknowledges where this place is. This is a special place. This is where I came to a knowledge and awareness of who the Lord is for myself. I'm not dependent on what my father and my mother told me. I have a relationship based on my own experience, and we all have to have our own experience with God. He's hungry for it. He wants us to know him for ourselves. 
And I'm talking to if you are a, a, a baby in the room all the way up to your 80s, 90s, 100 in the room. Each and every one of us, God wants us to have an experience with him for ourselves. Because when you know him for yourself, when you know him for yourself, it changes the game. Changes the game. And so we have to resolve. We have to make sure that we decide firmly on the course of action. Uh, we set him up as a pillar. And, uh, you know, I love the, you know, the, 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 as I'm getting towards the close, the last thing, you know, one of the last things that I'll say is I took note of this stone. You know, him setting up the stone as a pillar. And uh, immediately my mind went to the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's funny how God plays with words in the scriptures when you really kind of spend a little time in the word. Because you can start making these connections. And so, you know, I, I looked at, up some stone scriptures. Isaiah 28 and 16, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation, sin Zion, in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. That's the power of a stone as a memorial. 1 Peter 2 and 6, it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the kind of stone that we're talking about. Matthew, Jesus himself says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You see where it, it, it's a valuable thing to set up a stone, a pillar within our own life in terms of who God is. And I love what Acts 4 and 11 says. It says that this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Is Jesus a cornerstone in our life? Is he a pillar within our life? Is he a, a, a source of him, is he Lord of our life? Do we surrender our life to him? Part of my journey was realizing that I had tried to live my life on my own. And I tried to do it all by myself. And time after time after time, I was running against the wall. I was knocking my head against the wall. I was hurting the people around me. I was destroying myself. But God. But God, and I've told this story before, but I have no shame in telling it now. The, when, I, when, I, when God started moving in my heart, I remember as clear as day that Sunday morning waking up on the passenger side of my car with a hangover. I didn't even know how I got there. And I can remember my head throbbing. And I can remember the smell of alcohol, and you know how it is that with the hangover, coming through my pores the whole nine yards. And I can remember just the innocence of my voice saying, God, there's got to be more to life than this. And it was at that moment, it seemed like things started to change. I didn't even know what I was doing when I said that. I didn't have anybody telling me and sharing Jesus Christ with me as Lord and Savior in the whole nine yards. 
I didn't have anybody walking me through, inviting me to church. I just had music, commission, and the whining, singing songs about salvation in the whole nine yards. And that was enough for God to get a hold of me and take the taste of alcohol away from me. I didn't have to do a 12-step program. That's my story. Some of you might have to. There's nothing against a 12-step program. If that's the way God wants to deliver you from that, then you go through the 12 steps and you do what you got to do. But I'm telling you, at that moment, that's the moment when God began to shift in my thinking, in my heart, and, it was, and, and prepare me for that moment on October 21st, 1990, to give my life to Christ when I knew exactly what was going on, all that had transpired, and he wants to do the same for each and every one of us. And so, what does Jacob do? And this is where I'm getting towards the close. Jacob has acknowledged him. He set up a pillar. He's, 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 he's set up a place to remind him of his first encounter, his encounter where his life shifted from just knowing about God to knowing God. He set up a place, and then it says in verse 20, it says, and Jacob vowed a vow. God A vow is a promise. Where God has promised himself to us, where God has vowed of what he will do on our behalf. It's not equal in terms of what we promise to God. We're not on the same playing field. And I think the Bible says it this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, God knows that the scales are are out of balance. And we know, we should know that the scales are out of balance. And, 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 And when we know that the scales are out of balance, the thing that we recognize is that you've done so much for me. You've given You're all to me. Why wouldn't I give you my reasonable service? And so I'm not serving God out of obligation. I'm compelled to serve him. I don't serve him because of requirement or mandates. That's not love. I'm I'm, I'm serving God out of, uh, you've done so much for me. I don't deserve it. I recognize that I'm a wretch. I'm undone. Nothing about me matters in terms of this relationship. It's totally out of balance. I don't even know what I have to offer you. And in the weight and the scales of the balance, God says, I'll take your reasonable service. That's all you get. I'll take your reasonable service. Jacob makes a vow literally to give God his reasonable service. Because as you look at that, he says, if you'll do these things for me, and he's not asking for a lot. God's promised him so much more than what Jacob is asking as you go back and you read that. Jacob just says, hey, make sure you feed me, make sure you clothe me, and bring me back in peace. If you do those things, God, I'm good. God done promised him land and seeds and multitude and the whole nine yards. He's just asking for the minimal. And he says, in return, God, I'll give you a tenth of everything that you give to me. Reasonable service. Reasonable service. And all God is looking for from each and every one of us 
all God is looking for from each and every one of us is not to try to match him as equals, but just give him our reasonable service. God, you've done so much for each and every one of us. You've given your all. How do I know he gave his all Jesus at Gethsemane? It's saying he sweated great drops of blood. He prayed, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, if I don't have to go by way of the cross to save them, show me that way, Lord. Lingering, waiting. Three times he goes back with the same request. And ultimately, he gives the same response. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he takes on the cross, enduring its shame, not for anything that he had done because he was sinless, but he had us in mind. And as we've learned in different instances, as he's on that cross, my sins, your sins, your sins, your sins, your sins, your sins are being attached to him, attached to him. He's taking on each and every one of our sins. They don't belong.